You're listening to the Endless Pursuit Podcast, where we talk about all things hunting and the great outdoors. Let's get into it. No, I prefer it's go time. Welcome back. Chase Dodge, I think we, there's been a few times now that we really have got some great guests with some great stories when things don't really go to plan. And I think it's important because it, sometimes people get a bit too comfortable or they have confidence in their abilities and you don't really find out until you put in the furnace. I sort of say that, you know, like if you, it was a a bit of a a saying that, um, you know, uh, well, there's a bit of a running joke in the army that Chocos were uh, sort of, they, the reason they're called Chocos was like, so when they went in the heat of battle, they melted like like chocolate. So, <laughs> but um, it's- I it's would probably those, do quite well there. Yeah. Well, you'd, oh, you'd be, <laughs> you'd be done, done for cannibalism. Um, <laughs> so I think everyone's guilty of it at some stage is that whilst you think if things go wrong, you can handle it, sometimes- the training or not being in that position is very different. I know I had a first aid situation at my workplace and it made me a far better first aider because there was multiple casualties. We're talking serious injuries. It was a multi-car crash outside the premises and um, basically had to shut down a road and give CPR and try and revive someone. And and there was a a lot to it. But I, I sort of sit there and then sit in the first aid courses when you're doing it on a mannequin and it's not even comparable. And I know a lot of people that do those first There's aid no courses. stress levels or anything. Yeah, they do the first aid course and they're just pumping away on this CPR doll and even getting things wrong or the, the instructors help them out a little bit. And That's like the most tame environment ever where you're not really under the pump and there's no pressure, there's no external pressures, there's no so many different things that you've got to consider. And it's almost like people go, oh, I'm first aid trained, I know what to do, I'm good. But then they haven't been thrown into the furnace when the the hits the fan and all of a sudden, you know, things can go south very quickly. People can panic and it's tough going. Do you remember early on we spoke one of the very first episodes I'd just come back. Well, actually that hunt we went on in the state forest, you and myself and Kyle, and we picked up a deadhead that was shot by another hunter that wounded himself in the hand. Do you remember that story? Stabbed himself in the hand? I do indeed. So he had done a full first aid course only weeks before this event and was skinning the back of the deer and slipped and put the knife completely through the palm of his hand, straight out the other side, a decent knife too, not a little dicky little blade thing. And he said in the heat of the moment, he had no recall of his first aid training. Yeah. When it's happening to yourself, I mean, that situation you just described, you've got to try and use those things you've learned on other people. But if it happens to yourself, that's a whole nother like using first aid on yourself and dealing with stress, adrenaline, all those sorts of things. It's that's tough. Pain. Pain, yeah. I often say this with animals, like you wound a deer or you shoot a deer, right? Through the heart. The thing still runs two hundred meters. You wouldn't know that, Matt, but they do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but when like if I stub my toe or cut my toenail back too far, I'm looking at having the next day off work. Like just You are soft though. Humans Yeah, well that's a side topic. We'll get onto that another night, but <laughs> Human's ability to deal with pain in those tricky situations, I think what you're trying to say is it's a learnt thing. You can't plan for it properly. You can't learn it in a classroom. It comes from being in those hands-on situations like that one you were in. You said it made you a better first aider. 
there was some research and a study done on those advanced fall driving courses. Mm. And I know eventually we're going to have a good guest in this area. And the research came back that the people that would go on this one-day course of training would also then have a really inflated sense of their abilities and it would actually come off worse. And I think that also, yeah, yeah, they did that with, um, there was an advanced driving course for like P platers and they could go and do it and it was on a track and it was all these things where they taught them how to slide and all these different things. And it actually was done by insurance companies to try and make them better drivers to have less accidents. But it didn't work that way. It actually made it worse because they were so confident in their abilities and they had that ticket or that status that they'd completed this advanced course. You don't become an advanced driver on an eight-hour course. No. Like, it doesn't make sense. I've done both of those courses. We did a one-day forward driving course, my wife and I, and I can't remember a lot of it. It was good fun at the time. I did the P-plate advanced driver training course, like you're saying. I think it was Ian Luff, right, ex-car racer, out at Oran Park when it used to be not Sounds a right. town. And town. Yeah, to town now. They've still got the main road in there. but And like you said, it's interesting that we've had this conversation about what it is to be an experienced hunter or a beginner hunter and all these labels, yet you do an eight-hour course and you've got your advanced driver training course ticked off. Mm. Are you advanced driver or, or have you just, you're like... Yeah, I agree with you, Mean. And the other thing heading down that path is putting a winch on your vehicle. I always say to people it's an interesting one because if you put a winch on your vehicle, you're more inclined to go into spots that you think you can winch out of Yeah. instead of assessing the situation and going, I haven't got anything to get out of there, so I'm not going to even attempt that and then moving around it if possible. But, yeah, the more uh, recovery gear. The, The other one for me with winches, winch is a good one. A lot of people never use them. That's the point. They buy them. They leave them there. They don't, but they don't know how to operate them properly. So I've, I've seen, I've ran into a few people that have been stuck out on tracks and they've got the winch. They've never used it. They haven't even tensioned the rope. Mm. And all of a sudden they can't use it properly. And it's this big drama. Um, yeah, it's massive safety issue too, winches. I know that's a side topic, but I do have a good winch story if you've got time for it. Yeah, let's hear it. It's not it. a good winch story, it's a bad winch story, actually. It um, didn't end well at all. There was a vehicle on a property we hunt on in North Queensland getting towed and they'd already pulled it out of the situation, but they were just towing it because it was, wasn't was starting because of the situation they were in. And there was a child, two children on the back of the vehicle that was in front and the winch strap dislodged or snapped and resulted in one deceased child and one heavily broken arm child. So, yeah, winching uh, situations, like you said, you need to know what you're doing, how to use a winch, but also the safety aspects of standing around watching someone do it. Those things snap and, yeah, it's not fun. Yeah, especially if you don't know about putting a weighted bag over there to try and stop that springing effect. And I've seen that so many times and there are so many horror stories out there, seeing windows get smashed. I'm on a couple of four-wheel drive pages and, geez, I'm always seeing some issues with winches or even snatch straps and things like that, just things going wrong. And, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Things Some just go just, wrong. We've got a story for you tonight about something that went wrong. 100%. So um, before we get into that, just a quick touch on the National Feral Deer Action Plan. It's been, been a lot of, I guess, 
momentum gathering on the back of it and what we're seeing and that's been a real positive and I think it's important that we let our listeners know that that's our opinion. We're not saying it's gospel. We want everybody to actually do their own due diligence and look at the plan, make your mind up about what you feel. Don't just take our word for it because, you know, we are doing the best we can with it, but, hey, we could be wrong. I think you said in in one of your comments, you know, we've got our hunter's eyes on, our hunter's goggles. Like we have our own bias. We we want deer. So we, we understand that. We appreciate that. But we've also said, you know, we support 1080 and the right uses. We you know, just need to take what we say in context in the whole conversation. And like Matt said, it is our opinion. It's not any more than that. It's our thoughts on it. And we do, like Matt said, and I've said it before, recommend that you guys read the documents yourselves. Delve into it. Just use our podcast as an introduction to it, a little foreword, and then read it for yourself to make your own opinion. Yep. The big one for me over the plan is it needs to be a multifaceted approach. And you know, I, I'm not as big a fan of the, the poisoning, uh, only because I just think it's – I get it with dogs and foxes because they're a different – animal and they're less likely to be trapped and shot and things like that well mainly wild dogs anyway when it comes to the deer you know there's so much more benefit as a resource and that's where i see the value in deer you're not going to get the general public eating fox i know dodge you'd have a crack again but i don't think the general public would compared to venison so that's that's where I just think, for me, I'm not a big fan of the poison side because of that. In other circumstances, you do have to look at it, but it needs to be, I guess, I, I still think way more research needs to be done and we need far more data to make those decisions. I just don't think that's there. And seeing what we've looked at from New Zealand and different parts of the country, that's uh, where I'm coming from. But So before we get into tonight's guests and story, what have you been up to, Matt? I heard you went on a little journey today. I have done a couple of little journeys, not out hunting like in a state forest, unfortunately, but I uh, got a new product and I've been testing it out. So uh, I guess this is our version of Tech Talk. I tell you what, I am super impressed with this product. I've mentioned it on the podcast the last couple of episodes the axel gs extreme 2.0 they are unbelievably good value and they just work so well i know i've mentioned so many times i'm big on keeping my hearing and i've really been searching for that product that i can put in that keeps the sound around me doesn't muffle it if anything, maybe enhances it, but it also will protect me when I shoot so I can have them in at all times and I'm good. So I bought the GS, sorry, the Axel Axel GS Extreme 2.0s and got them brought in from America and they are just above my expectations. I was a little concerned with the fit. They come with a couple of different size um, plugs, so they're basically like those foam plugs, little rubber inserts. Yeah, that you and you squeeze mm-hmm. them down and push inside, and then on the outside of that is the actual unit where it must it has the microphone and it stops the sound coming in. And 
I took him out for a hunt the other day, just out to a property and to, to walk around. It was great. They were comfortable. They were a snug fit. And I think I probably could go up a size in the foam tips, but they worked really, really well. They enhanced the sound. They cut off gunshots. They were comfortable to wear. I haven't bothered with the whole Bluetooth thing, playing music or anything like that. I don't want them for that. I just want them to be able to walk around. And I guess it's the poor man's version of, we've spoken about them on here, the Earmold Australia ones, the Sens Digital, which I think go for about $1,800. I was able to pick these up at, I think, $280. Australian? Uh, Australian, yeah. So I think delivered, yeah, right. it was about $45 delivered. I think it cost me $325 Australian to have it landed. Not bad. Uh, mate, I am It's just, one-fifth the price or so. They, obviously, the other ones are custom molded. These aren't. They're the foam tips. But the seal was good. The fit was good. They were comfortable. It's got a little lanyard, little on-off switch, the, the volume up and down. I just can't speak more highly of them. I definitely am super impressed. They're rechargeable, super easy to use, come in a nice little carry case. I'll do a bit of a uh, a video on it as well just to show everybody on our YouTube channel, but, geez, they're good. So I, uh, if you're out there and you're looking for some, some earplugs that are not going to take that sense of hearing away, geez, look into them. I cannot speak more highly. Also, how'd you go the range? Yeah, not too bad. I took out the ticker that was seracoded by... Accuracy, Dan. Yeah, and obviously I haven't got out there or taken it out, and so I just wanted to make sure the zero was close, good. Uh, it was pretty close, to be honest, so I wasn't far off. I think on the 50s, I had to move it. You'll like this one. I had to move it an inch to the <laughs> right and down an <laughs> inch. Just... I- you know, I just wanted to make sure you feel comfortable with that. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm in the conversation now. I'm back, guys. <laughs> and then pushed out to 100 and we were good. So that was that was quite good. And then also took out the 308 just to make sure. I'd only had the chance to zero that at the 50 at St. Mary's. So it was nice today to get out, do the uh, the 50, the 100, and then uh, push it out, extend the legs. And um, actually, sorry, no, I lie. I did not extend the legs out to 200 today. I am probably going to get there tomorrow and have a crack at that too because I was playing around with what ammo the gun likes as well. I didn't get the chance to do that with the 308 last time I sighted it in, so just been playing with that. Was this at Silverdale? Yeah, yeah, I went out to Silverdale today. So What's, What category is your license on the back? What have you got it for? Uh, I'm target and hunting, so I've got to do six shoots a year. All right, so there's a super confusing email message that went around Yep. last week from the SSAA and I was with a friend of mine, Braden Eaglehawk Knives. At the time, I'm not a member of the SSAA for several reasons, but he is and he got this email and it said that reminding him that he had to do attendances and then saying that if you have hunting on your license, you have to do two attendances. And I was like, nah, doesn't apply to me. And he said, yes, it does. I said, no, it doesn't. My genuine reason is hunting and vermin control, and I have a letter from a farmer stating that I, that like that was my genuine reason, which I think is an interesting. I'll get into that now. I get one letter from one farmer and never have to shoot on his property, but that's my genuine reason for getting a firearms license. Now, I'm not saying I'm upset with that. I'm just saying it's a weird little, not loophole, but step in the process. 
So there was some clarification actually from Silverdale Range. They put a post up as well. WSWA Luara put it up. WSWA themselves put it up. Trying to clarify, but from what I believe, if you are a member of the WSWA and that is your genuine reason as well as hunting, like hunting through the WSWA, then you still need to attend the range twice. Is that your understanding? Yeah, so well, I am six times. And my genuine reason is the SSAA membership. Yes. So what that means is I have to stay a member or I have to go through the process of getting that genuine reason all changed. I sort of look at it from the sense that, yeah, there's four target because I like the target, which is interesting because I went to do some uh, clay shooting with a mate and he does not have target on his license. So there was a little bit of a problem in him being able to shoot. They didn't allow him to. We actually had to do a P650 for whatever reason. That was what the range said on that day. Just, oh, I like your clarification on that day because that's a Again, people make mistakes and people do things differently. I've been to ranges. Yes, it's not worth arguing. It's not. There's, I've been to ranges where things change and, you know, it's interpretation of rules and we've got to remember that as well. So, but that because he did not have target on his license and it was clay shooting, then we had to basically do it a little bit differently. So that was an interesting one for me. I believe that with what the SSAA are saying is that it can potentially impact the firearms registry. We'll be looking into it. So it's something to be mindful if you are a member of the SSAA check your attendances the really easy way i will say this it wasn't before covid i'm sure of it now i could stand corrected now they print out a receipt that tells you what you're up to so it tells you how many shoots you've had and how many well and then you do the calculation if you're a target shooter you got to do four if you're a hunter you've got to do two you can off the top of my head if you attend like club member like club evenings and things like that they can count as hunts as well if you're genuine reasons through a club so i to be honest the double sla is easy me get a discount for the range it's the closest range to me it works pretty well so yeah and they're open a fair bit unlike hilltop which is still closed i'm really wanting that to open to get out to stretch legs on a couple of our rifles and it just won't open i got a 28 nozzler just calling my name in the safe Got rounds loaded for it, scopes on, can sit behind it in the shed all I want, and I can't shoot it at Silverdale. No, that's got to be burning you. You've been talking about that for a while too. Mm. I've had it. I think I've had it for nearly three years. I just bought it and sat it in the safe because I didn't have a scope for it and then finally got the scope for it because not a cheap scope. And, yeah, still waiting. So, anyway. What do you do? It's part of it. Radio. So, who have we got with us tonight? Well, I don't know him. He's someone that you know. So I know. That was a test. Yeah, it was a test. I know. I'll let you introduce him because I don't want to get his name wrong. It's a tricky well, one just go for with me. first names because it's yeah. <laughs> Tom. It's hard. <laughs> welcome, to the, welcome to the show, Tom. Tom is uh, – I'll let Tom introduce himself, but uh, Tom came – I met Tom in our local hunting club, Tom and his wife, um, no, several months ago now and – been keeping in communication. So welcome to the show, Tom. Thanks, Dodge. Thanks, Matt. It's also um, good to meet you. Yeah, mate. Nice to meet you as well. 
Oh, I forgot you guys haven't met in person. No, we haven't. So it is actually nice to put a, a name to the face because I've heard a, a lot of things about you, Tom, and most of them are good, but we'll talk about the bad ones off here. No, nah, just jokes. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, welcome, Tom. And uh, Tom's Tom's got a bit of a story for us tonight, a bit of a learning yarn. But uh, before we want to get before we get into that, I just want to ask a bit about your background, Tom, and how you ended up with your firearms license after hearing that talk with us and SSAA and Genuine Reasons, how did you end up with yours? I guess for mine, uh, well, firstly, I always wanted, always, uh, I guess, admired hunting and wanted to get involved. But, you know, at the time I was living in the city and I thought, you know, it's also complicated and, you know, always put it off. But uh, so I moved down to Southern Highlands maybe four or five years ago. And then during COVID, I was like, you know, I've, I've got no excuse. I'm sitting at home locked down, so I'll just go through the process. So contacted the local hunting club yeah, so I spoke to the president and turned up one day and set the the art test and the um, firearm safety test and got the ball rolling yeah so I but I, I guess yeah the the overriding motivation was you know wanting to get good quality meat for my family and also looked a uh, pretty fun in itself so so yeah that was my reason I wanted to get into it you said something there that I haven't heard anyone ever say before especially someone looking to get into the sport was that you admired hunting? Is that something that you grew up with anyone around you that did it and you thought, oh, that was pretty cool or was it always just something in the pipeline or off in the distance in a magazine or how did it come into your world? Yeah, no, I guess I always, you know, admired the, you know, those, I guess, books and movies about, you know, the Aussie Outback and the American West and, you know, those sort of um, uh, Louis L'Amour and um, A.B. Guthrie novels of the the Western Hunter and I always thought that was pretty cool. and. Also, the meat, I guess, aspect where we've always, you know, wanted to live sustainably and you know, get good quality meat that hasn't been in the freezer for, for two years. So. I can tell you right now, a lot of my venison's in the freezer for two years until Matt comes and raids it. It ends up at the bottom and you put fresh stuff on top. You should, I should rotate it, but I don't. Is that where I get food poisoning? I'll blame you. Yeah, <laughs> you get literally bottom <laughs> of barrel. He's a good bloke, isn't he? Oh, I look after you. I got your back. That's an interesting concept coming from a, like, well, I'm going to say city dweller, someone to admire hunting. I just thought that was an interesting phrase, mm. one that I haven't thought before. I like the meat concept. Um, it's definitely a genuine reason there. Now, I know that your wife is also, has it just got her firearms license? Yeah, so she just got her R license and her firearms license. So actually taking her out uh, tomorrow for the, do some um, clay pigeon shooting and then the weekend where I've, to the range so she can uh she'll be shoot a rifle for the first time so she'll take out the 22 we've got so yeah she's pretty excited for that i bet i bet she'll be excited where are you doing the clays is that at barima uh, yeah going to barima and yeah probably go to goldman for the rifle because they've, they've got a rimfire range there so did you know about that one matt no it's a bit far away from me so yeah just as another option for anyone down here in the highlands it's only short distance there's now a rifle range as well on the rifle range conversation mm-hmm. So what happened then? We came along, actually, I think the first time I met you, we were doing a, a skinning butchery demo. Is that right? I had Grace with me on stage that night? I think so. Yeah, I think the first time I turned up and did my eye license and, and that you were uh, butchering a, a deer. And, you know, it was the first time I'd seen that. So, yeah, definitely thought that was pretty cool. Can, can I ask a serious question? Because I wasn't there. Was he sneaking a chunk when he was cutting it off and having a feed? I didn't see that, but he... 
could have done. It could have done that when I turned my back. I don't know, so I can't vouch for that. 100%. I'm pretty sly at it. A little bit of actually on that night, Kyle actually, yeah, <laughs> cracked egg on top. No, Kyle actually took over and did a little bit, which was nice because I, I had Grace with me. So what's it called when you got the egg on top? What's that one called? Nah, it's not it's capaccio. Just raw mint. It's, uh, uh, yeah, I can't think of it. I know what you're talking about. But yes, no. Yeah, We're back to food. All right, let's get serious mint. again. <laughs> I think call it tartar. I think I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, that's it. Tata. It sounds like something Ryder says at the moment. Tata. Do you feed him so, raw meat? <laughs> <laughs> Look, he picks up most things off the floor. So I still actually on that. Funny story is I remember having a conversation with you at athletics or something. You're watching Grace run and he said, oh, right, is he just chewing on a pork chop? (laughs) He would have only been about seven months. (laughs) Yeah, well, our kids eat a lot of meat. I had pork chops tonight. Good, good. But uh, no, funny funny story. It's off topic, but having the kid conversation. Ben Unton told me once a story about having two kids. He said the first kid, you spend your whole time, you know, making sure everything's clean and sanitary and the second kid, you're like, you eat it off the floor, boy. You just do what you do. It's funny. It's a, when you, you have twins, you just go your... even further and you just put the food on the floor and say, hey, go nuts. It. <laughs> That's a free fall. Hop in it, guys. <laughs> Hop in. That was a joke for our listeners. <laughs> don't Please don't call facts on me. <laughs> You've got a young child too, Tom? Yeah, so um, got one son, so he just turned 16 months. So, so yeah. Congratulations. So, you know, quite experienced. So, yeah, we give him we give him a lamb ribs for his um, teething pain. So. Seems to like that. So mm, they do well for my teething pains too. Yeah, Todd has been teething for thirty odd years. <laughs> Still teething. <laughs> so Tom, you've got your firearms license. You've got your R license. Your wife now has. What's been your hunting experience so far? So my hunting experience uh, went out uh, with a member of the club, Kyle, uh, for a state forest hunt in September. Yeah. So yeah, that was a. Honestly, that was like one of the greatest experiences. Just, just had so much fun. You know, I think we covered about twenty-five k's in a day and a half in state forest, and got our eyes on a group of deer and sort of pig and a rabbit, and yeah, just had a blast. And yeah, I'm um, yeah, just just learned so much. And and then Kyle's just such a great hunter as well. So it was just just a great all-round experience. So. For those listeners that have been with us for a little while, Kyle did recount on that story at some point, and. He did mention something about a sleeping bag. Is there any chance you want to give us your side of that story? It was a mattress. Uh, sorry, it? mattress, sleeping pad. So I brought everything except the mattress. Uh, so first night, slept uh, on the cold ground. It, was, it must have been about zero degrees, so I was freezing my ass off. And then second night, uh, we found some ratty air mattress that had been dumped in the state forest. Uh, so we dragged that back and I used that as the second night. <laughs> One man's trash, another man's treasure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we don't like to see people dumping, but yeah, that was on that time, it was not too bad. So, what we ask in the future is that all state forest hunters please leave care packages behind, which includes blankets and mattresses <laughs> for future hunters. No, we don't endorse littering, I kid. So, nothing was shot on that trip, but you said you learned a lot, and that's probably the key, the key take home element from that. Yeah, and I think um, Kyle did mention it at the time uh, that, you know, Sometimes you're better not getting anything the first time, so you realize that it's not always the the um, standard deal, especially in the state forest. I think so. It is, yeah, it can be, a bit, I guess, a bit of a, a grind. I guess. Yeah, someone who wouldn't shoot much that would say that. Something Matt would say. I don't think I'd say that at all. Matt <laughs> would never say that. I, I had that experience though. My wife shot her first fallow that she ever shot was on her parents' property. It's four thousand acres. 
She shot this cracking fallow. It had a bit of a cleft palm on one side, but still huge. But that was her first experience with deer. And exactly like you said, Tom, or like Kyle mentioned to you, beyond that, it took her some years to realize that she'd shot a big one because she only wants to shoot one that's bigger. So she hasn't shot one for some years because we can't find one. So, I, uh, yeah, and I agree with that sentiment. I think for me, I've always looked at things is the harder you work for something, the better that reward or that sense of accomplishment. So I'm not fully against it. And, you know, as much as Dodge puts a lot of crap on me, which he loves to do, it's not something that really bothers me too much because it's uh, it's a journey. It's so exciting to, you know, every time I book something or, or go, is it going to, is this the chance? Is this the time? Every time I go out, it's that sense of excitement. And it's funny because I've spoken to a couple of contract shooters and some of them just don't have that anymore. It's just pulling a trigger. And I think the day that I get there is the day I don't hunt anymore, unless it's for, you know, meat only, but it's the passion's not there. For me, I'm all about passion and it's like the podcast. This takes up a lot of my time to create and do, but I really enjoy it. So whether it be podcast or hunting, I, I don't mind that sort of longevity sort of viewpoint. Dodge will probably just say, oh, you're making excuses because you haven't got a deer, but that's fine, mate. No worries. I think one thing I didn't expect was, you know, the sense of excitement before you go on the hunt, you know, those sort of few days before when, you know, you almost have that sleepless night just because, you know, just, just thinking about the hunt and what, you know, what, what you expect to do on the hunt and all the different, I guess, uh, details evolved and, yeah, that, that was something that I didn't expect um, I'm going into it. so I'd like to hear from Dodge here. I When I go out hunting, I really struggle to sleep the night before. Do you feel the same? Because you've been hunting a lot longer than I have. So I don't get that feeling. I don't – this came up. This came up when I was doing some of my accurate hunts from the beginning courses. And it was, it was just after the first course we were talking to one of the – one of the punters there and he, he brought up this, this feeling of excitement and things. And I, I don't get it anymore. And I think it just comes from exactly what you said, Matt, I've just done it longer. So that's worn off. And I liken it to the butterflies you got when you first met your wife. Like that's not a common occurrence anymore. It's been married for several years or you just don't get that or the starting a new job, those nerves, you just don't get that when you go to work anymore. And it's a little bit like that. So my enjoyment has shifted to the enjoyment of, you know, get helping other people learn things or helping other people get to you. So, yeah, no, I, I do enjoy hearing that from new hunters because it's something I've forgotten about. I was hunting not long ago and I saw a patch of land and I thought, oh, that, that hill reminds me of a particular hunt. For the life of me, I cannot remember where the property was that I was on. I just remember that portion of the hunt, there was fallow on the side of a hill and a big fence line running up the right-hand side. And I, for the life of me, I spent the rest of that week trying to work on that. No recollection of that hunt. So, yeah, I do. You forget the small stuff when you've been doing it longer. It just becomes habitual. Tom, you said there that you were so excited and sleepless nights. What you forgot about was the fact that you were about to have another sleepless night because you forgot your mattress. So you should have enjoyed the pre-sleeping. <laughs> At home. So, no, the night before a hunt is often very busy for me. Um, you know what it's like, Matt, still doing family stuff. So, you end up packing late at night just before you go and 
you get to bed at midnight to get up at three o'clock or whatever, which is terrible, but uh, it's just part of it. So, no, I don't get that to answer your question in a long answer. The other one for me is the after the hunt. So if you're unsuccessful but you've seen deer and like the like the story from Manus in the ballot when I saw those antlers and, you know, he winded me and he took off, I just – I have, I reckon I have replayed that moment in my head hundreds of times and thought about how I could have handled it better or what could I have done to avoid what happened and by doing this, did I do this? And, you know, you don't know what's going to happen and all animals, you know, they they just operate on instinct. And it's something for me that it just constantly plays in my head. Do you have that, Dodge? Like is that something that if you – miss a deer or see a deer but don't get a shot. Do you, are you thinking what could I have done better or are you past that? No, I do analyse. I still definitely do analyse. I mean, I don't think we're ever finished learning. And I was chatting with a fellow the other day and he said he's at the point now where he's worked out deer and it just works for him every time he goes. It doesn't matter what species it is. He's worked it out. So it, it's not as hard for him and he, he's feeling that that's – not detracting, but just lowering the challenge level, which is a sort of part of the reason we hunt. So I think the failures keep us going. I think the misses, the busted stalks, things like that, they really rev you to keep going. You said there, Tom, that you saw some deer on that trip and some pigs, were they just not presented for a shot or that's, you know, running or what was the situation with them? So with the deer, um, so I was with Kyle and – we stopped, it was raining, so we stopped to take our jackets off. And then all of a sudden, Kyle just goes, just says, be quiet. And so look behind us, and there's a group of um, three does standing, standing about 30 meters from us. And so Kyle gets his gun ready to take a shot. So he's, he's I'm setting up a shot. And then, I don't know, they, they must have caught our scent. And then all of a sudden, they just take off uh, just before he's about to take the shot. And that was that, I guess. Yeah. And, and with Matt's comment there about, you know, analyzing things, sometimes in situations the answer is no, you couldn't have done anything different because if you did one thing different this morning, you wouldn't have seen them. If you wouldn't have stopped there to take your jacket off, you might not have seen them or if you stopped on the previous track to take your jacket off and might not have seen them. So, I mean, I often, you know, people think, oh, I'd like to go back and change that in time. But if you just change one thing back in time, we know this from watching The Simpsons, one of life's best teachers. But if you change one thing back in history, it just changes everything right now. So don't uh, – I, I, my answer to that is, Matt, is don't reminisce on it too long because other than learning from it, you can't change it. Okay, so I slightly disagree because it's just pushing me because I like to achieve and I don't like failing at something. So – when I relive it and think about it and whatnot, it just pushes me to when I go out next time be better, and that's how I, that's just the way my brain's wired. So it's not. What does being better look like though? Like if you if something happened that you couldn't change, what does being better look like in that situation? In that situation, I felt I could have been more patient. So when he when he darted from the top of the hill or like he was back over it, there was a massive blackberry patch. And he went on the other side of it. And instead of me just waiting, he was he was moving to try and win me a bit more. He sort of got me and that's why he ran, but he never saw me. And 
I really feel that when he went behind it, if I, I waited for a couple of minutes and then went, oh, I'm going to slowly approach and go around to see if I can get a, uh, get a glimpse of him because I didn't see – I knew he went behind, but I didn't know where or what was happening. And I waited a couple of minutes. I feel if I would have just waited another five minutes, he may have circled around and presented for a shot. He might not have, but I just – Sometimes when I unpack it and look at it and go, geez, I could have been a bit more patient. And I think that's one of the things for me as a hunter is being more patient. And we've spoken about this on the podcast before. And should I go? Should I move? Should I, you know, what? And you're always second guessing. And I'm not, I don't hang up, get hung up on those decisions because you've made them. But for me, it's trying to reflect and learn. And it then just gets me excited again because I want that experience, but with a different outcome. So that's the goal to get out there. And that's, what drives me, but that, that's just how I operate. Do you think there's anything you could have changed, Tom, in that situation to increase your chances now in hindsight? I can't think of anything we could have done to change it. I mean, we were just, we just there and we paused and we just, I stared them down and you know, they caught wind of us and just took off. So mm. the wind is a killer. Mm. It's a tricky one. And then there was the pig as well. And I know that was in some blackberries and whatnot. I think I said to Kyle at the time, why didn't you send an exploratory bullet downrange? And I sort of question the legalities of that or the, the ethics of that, not identifying your target and whatnot. But if you've got a clump of blackberries with nothing around it in the base of a valley and you're 10 metres from it, my target is the ground and I you think could put rock, a round into it. And, I think we, you were talking yeah. about New Zealand throwing a rock in. I like that idea, but probably you don't have to worry about the legalities. I don't think anyone's getting in trouble for throwing a rock in the bushes. Oh, geez, I would have been locked up at no, well, then a you... very young age, probably about six. <laughs> You've also got the issue of uh, reloading quickly and things like that, being deaf, those sorts of situations. So, yeah, that was one I, – I did mention that to Kyle. Did you ever think about that? And that was – maybe you hadn't thought about that or heard that before. But, yeah, if, if you've got something stuck in the bushes, I know Samba will bunker down, but uh, pigs especially, throw a rock in there or throw a stick in there and see what happens. What have you got to lose? Yeah, I hadn't actually – thought about that but it just surprised me how how quick it took off and you know just walking past me oh there's a pig and then cause um goes to get it's going but 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 by the time it already dissipated to the bush so yeah they disappear pretty quickly now you said you did about 25 kilometers or so how was that on the physical side of things is it kyle never really gave us the name of the state forest so feel free to give gps coordinates but alternatively (laughs) was it flat or hilly or what's what was the terrain like it was a little bit hilly not too not too bad, but yeah, a little bit hilly. Um, it was a lot, but it didn't, I guess it seemed like, it didn't seem so far because of just having so much fun, I guess, and just, yeah, more focused on looking at animals and looking at how many Ks I've done. But yeah, definitely, definitely was uh, sore for a few days afterwards. Just for us to have an understanding, last episode or the episode before, we talked about training and it's a different type of training. It's a different type of fitness and they're vastly different between hunting some state forests that are relatively flat and there are other state forests that are very hilly and, and private property and there's anywhere between. Where did you sort of gauge your fitness levels at? Are you a sporty person? Like what, what's your background? Uh, so I guess in terms of always played sports, so, you know, played basketball, played rugby union and, you know, all those other sports, AFL. When in my twenties, used to do some weightlifting, so yeah, I was into the. I was a bit of a, a gym bro. I don't like to admit it, but I was. 
similar. Yeah. Since I've got the baby, uh, mostly walking. So yeah, usually walk the baby maybe two to five k's a day, just because he's a poor sleeper. So you know, we've got a lot of hills here in the Highlands. So, uh, but yeah, usually I injure my back weightlifting. So most of the stuff I do is you know legs, so like that you know helps you uh, prepare for hiking that sort of stuff, like squats, calf raises, that sort of thing. You know that. In the weekends, there's a national park about a k from where I live, so yeah, usually do a walk in the national park most weekends. So yeah, so do quite a bit of exercise. So yeah, not try not to spend too much time on the couch. So. What about temperature on that trip? It nice. It got down to about zero, so it, it was was sort of um, damp and wet. So it wasn't too warm. Or we didn't have like heat waves or anything. So yeah, I think the might have been top of like 12 degrees so yeah nice cool weather it's a nice comfortable time of year to be hunting it makes uh camping a lot easier and and whatnot i think the hunting's easier in cooler weather too so then uh you finished that trip you learned a lot and you've come home from it what have you been doing since then uh not much mostly spending time with the, the family and you know got a got a baby and a job <laughs> most of my time i've been trying to get out but it just hasn't happened in the last sort of had it happened in the last three months. I had actually planned a trip for November, but that ended up uh, not happening. So you had had to cancel that one, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, I you know tried to do things that were sort of related to hunting or that would help out, you know, like hiking and uh, did a first aids course and you know all that sort of stuff. So got a, a PLB, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. That's the fun part of the conversation. So from that, you've been on on that hunt with Kyle, and then mm-hmm. I know a bit of backstory, but you got invited out on had the opportunity to go on another hunt. Yeah, so I went um, for another hunt about a month ago now. So I guess just yeah, the backstory of that was um, a, a hunter in the hunting club sent out a message for someone to come along for a local goat hunt. So yeah, I was obviously very keen to come along. So he said he was for an New hunter and you know got to be fit. I thought, yeah, I'm relatively fit. I mean, I'm not bear grills, but you know, who is so? Um, so yeah, spoke to the guy a few days later on the phone, and he so, yeah, just told him my experience uh, hunting. So yeah, about the trip I went on with Kyle and my experience with uh, firearms. So yeah, just said uh, had been to the range about four or five times my 22, and had just uh, purchased my first uh, center fire rifle. So yeah, now just you know getting that. Uh, zero unit range and so forth. So, what caliber have you got? I uh, got a Tika T3X uh, 308. Right, and happy with it? Yeah, that's it's got a beautiful action on it. It's uh, nice. Uh, the the jump between 22 and 308 was um was a bit big for the first shot, but yeah, after that it was fine. It was just a bit of a shock for the first one. Is there any way you can explain that to some other new people listening? Like, it's hard to reconcile what the recoil of a larger rifle feels like compared to anything in real life is it uh would you say it's twice the kick or 10 times the kick or uh so yeah my experience with the 22 was no kick at all and then that was a uh, yeah a bit of a kick yeah nothing terrible so did you have a muzzle break on it no i ha- i didn't have a chance to get a muzzle break yet but um i hear the they, they work well with the tikas apparently so yeah i'm keen to get one though they do reduce that recoil a little bit the other one is a compensator. What's that, Dodge? Something you do most nights of your life, isn't it? No, no it's a not at all. <laughs> a 
In the buttstock, a little bit extra padding. Is that what it is? No, so our compensator is sort of, it's like a muzzle brake, but it actually pushes the uh, muzzle down. So when you take that shot, the muzzle rise is limited. So it's sort of on a, if you look at a muzzle brake, the air travels out through the side ports as opposed to a compensator, which actually has the ports at the top. And that's to basically, I think it's top and bottom, to be honest. And that's to try and minimize the jump. So if you shoot, you have a better chance of staying on target. There you go. Learn something from me, Dodge. There you go. Tech talk with Maddie. I just Googled it. What, what Don't you believe me? No, I've never seen one. But now I have seen one. I just didn't know that was called. I just thought it was a break. So, Tom, you've had a chat to the bloke and worked out you want to go out. Do you have a discussion about equipment, gear, what you're going to take, the the background of where you're going? The mattress? So, we had a discussion about what equipment to take and, you know, he went through, he sent me a list on email. You know, just, you know, for example, you know, take an esky, take a, take a swag, take, take a gun, take a bolt, you know, all that stuff. Uh, but one thing we didn't go through was the uh, terrain or the um, location of the property that we're going to. We basically only just went over a meeting place. Yes, I was just meeting at this place and then we're going to drive uh, to the property and camp overnight and head off in the morning, really. so Did you take your mattress? Yes, yeah, so I actually got a new swag that had a mattress inside it, so I was pretty happy about that. Well, I mean, you're learning. That's a good start. So yeah. that's steps forward. 100%. Start. We all make mistakes. We leave slings out and Dodge comes to the rescue and then reminds you. So I, don't carry smear, I don't carry smear, smear, smear sl- mattresses. <laughs> I don't carry spare mattresses. <laughs> oh, I've had a few drinks tonight. Uh, I'm on my first Milo. Start to slur my words. So, Tom, you got to the property. That was Is that the first time you've met the person you're going out with? So I'd spoken to him for about five minutes at a meeting. I just briefly like, hi, what's your name? My name's Tom. And you know, he gave me his name and you know, said, whereabouts are you from? That was pretty much all we'd spoken about. Yeah, so just general chit-chat. Face-to-face, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. So you got to the property eventually, set up camp, and did you sort of have an indication when you were there setting up camp of where you're going? Did you sort of go, oh, from my understanding, it was quite hilly. Were you still sort of going, oh, I haven't got equipment for this, so I wasn't prepared for this? Was any thoughts going through your head or were you there at dark and you weren't sure what the terrain looked like? What, how, did, how was that unplaying in your head? So we arrived in the Arvo and yes, set up camp and saw the place we'd be going. And yeah, I, I could see it was, wasn't hills. It was actually mountains. Apparently I found out later it was actually a thousand meters high. So that was a, a first for me. So, but at a distance, I don't know if you like look at mountains, the incline doesn't look as steep as when you're up front to it. So, you know, we sort of have a look, look at the mountains. It's like, oh, there's a, there's a goat on the mountain, you know, halfway up. So you don't realize that that halfway up is actually 500 meters. It's not just, you know, a 80-meter mountain or 80-meter 80, 80 hill or, yeah. So that was, um, yeah, so we gave that general idea. But, yeah, I guess um, before that, I didn't have any idea what where we were going or anything. So. And then you got there, you set up camp. That was obviously the night before. And then you had, woke up in the morning ready to go. Was there... Talk us through your pack situation. Had you bought anything extra and then you took on your state forest hunt or what sort of pack setup have you got? Well, I based my, I guess, pack on what I what I had used on the previous hunt. Obviously, um, it was different terrain and I guess I wasn't necessarily expecting that. So, you know, just um, – and also talking to the 
with that beforehand in his email list of what to bring. So, you know, brought, I guess, in the in terms of like food, uh, four or five muesli bars, you know, trail mix. I just thought that'd be enough. Uh, and just a few liters of water. Um, I wasn't expecting to be out all day. So I just thought, you know, be out a few hours. So I thought a few liters would, would cut it. And then what were you using to drink the water? I uh, just had a water bottle. So let's let's get into the hunt element. So you've woke up the next morning. Not too early, so um, eight thirty. So I guess that's relatively late for the morning hunt. I guess. And what was the the conversation? Did you know you're going to the top of the mountain? Did you know how long you're roughly going to be away from camp? Were you, you know, did you have a, a good understanding of what you needed to throw in the kit? Was there a toolbox talk basically? Not necessarily. Um, so we, yeah, we did a bit of glass on the mountain beforehand just from his um, spotting scope. And then, yeah, so in, in my last hunt with Kyle, we sort of, I guess the, you know, we'd hunt early morning. So we'd leave about 4.30 a.m. and then go back after about four or five hours and then, you know, have lunch and have a sit around and then, you know, go back in the afternoon and have another hunting session. So I was sort of expecting something similar. So obviously that didn't, uh, on this situation, that didn't happen. Um, so, yeah, I guess I had sort of prepared based on that. And, yeah, obviously, I guess I probably should have checked that beforehand, um, you know, just had a quick chat and say, look, are we come back for lunch? Are we, you know, going to go out for a few hours? We're going to come back in the afternoon. What's the what's the deal? I think that's a tricky one there because I'm just hearing this. I'm hearing – I can sort of see it from both perspectives here is that when you go out on a hunt with someone, you sort of – even a new hunter, you you sort of expect them to have an understanding of a certain thing. But then I also he's talking about the hunt with Kyle going, hey, we hunted morning, came back at lunch and chilled out. And that you might not have thought, hey, we're going to go to the mountain. Like for me, if I heard I'm going up a kilometre, I'm sitting there going, we can do that in a, like up and back in a day and shoot something, you know, potentially and dress it out. I'm questioning it, but then I sort of go, this is your second hunt, wasn't it? Yeah, second hunt. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a tr- yeah, it's tricky. How do you know what questions to ask? That's, you know, from for new hunters out there going out on when someone takes you out, I think you almost need to try and think about all the scenarios and ask as many questions as possible because – but then it's hard because how do you ask questions if you don't even know what you're facing? Oh, so so tricky. Yeah. So tricky. I guess that's like the biggest learning thing for me is, you know, to ask all those questions and in terms of pack, just I'm prepared for the worst. And if it's not the worst, then at least you're prepared for it, I guess. Yeah. I can't, uh, I can't take my guide, guide hat off for this conversation. I'll let it play out and I'm sure I've got some more questions and, and feedback, but I, I can see how hard it would be to ask those questions and there might also be i'm not saying there is or there was but if this other person was a you know quite experienced hunter there might be a slight element of nervousness from you to look like a a newbie by asking some of these questions like not a nervousness maybe but a you know you just didn't want to appear whether it be subconscious or consciously but you know you want to appear to be the newbie you didn't want to appear to be slowing them down and asking these questions or or things like that. So I'm not sure if that was the case. So feel free to comment on that if you want to. Yeah, I think that was to a certain extent. And also, yeah, it's perhaps he could have mentioned something and I could have missed it. So there's also as well, yeah, that um, I've been, yeah, I sort of played that back in my head a few times. 
yeah, did he mean this or, or this or, you know what I mean? It's sort of, you sort of play those situations back of your head. Interpretation. We spoke about this on a previous episode. Dodge was talking about experienced hunters teaching and not, and I, I sort of talked about the pedagogy side of it and things like that, that sometimes people that know everything or it's just autonomous level, they don't think about it for them to put themselves in the shoes of a very new person. It's hard. It's so hard. And because it, it just comes so natural after a while. And I've said it for me, like I don't think about the wind anymore. Like it's just a common occurrence. I don't, Think, oh, stop and glass. I just do it because I know that's what you got to do and, and I've learned that. But when I went out on my first hunt, I had to prompt myself. I had to talk to myself and I haven't been hunting for deer all that long, but I have those things that just are now autonomous for me. And even myself sometimes, I can I, I get it because I've been in all these various roles where I've educated others so i'm always thinking and and i think i do a very good job of being able to put myself in the other person's perspective and and see it as that new person in whatever field it is but for a lot of people that don't have a background in that side of things i can see people not even thinking about it and and that's what i the point i was trying to make to dodge the other week when we were talking about this is you know he didn't even know what pedagogy meant and that's that's fine he i, I don't expect him to because that's not his background and his understanding. And I can sort of, yeah, it, it's a really tricky one because it, teaching is a skill within itself. And just because you have the knowledge doesn't mean that you're good at educating somebody else with that knowledge. I know a lot of people that are brilliant with what they know, but they have Buckley's chance of actually educating another person about what they know. So that is a definite skill set. And that's, yeah, I can see potentially, you know, where, where things fall apart like that. I still think pedagogy is that little thing you should attach to your key ring and play with your friends. It was. Yeah, and it used to do like an electronic poop and you had to feed it and stuff. Yeah, it was great fun. <laughs> We're showing our age. Yeah, pedagogy. Yeah, Tamagotchi. But we spoke about it earlier when we did the when I did the training courses. After that first couple, that opened my eyes to the things I'd forgotten to the things I'd missed, it really made me rewind and assess what a new beginning hunter might want to learn. And it it was like I get the same enjoyment when a new person comes to the hunting club because they're just so eager to learn and you start telling them all these things but then you're like, hold on, that's like step 20. Let's get back to step 10 and step 5 and step 1. Like where does this even begin? And the same thing with the wind, Matt. I don't use a windicator. I just assess that. And then another another thing, Tom, that is sort of plays to my detriment sometimes is I have this inability to not look around the next corner. So if I haven't seen any game, I'm not going back at 10 o'clock for Smoko. I'm just going to keep going around that next corner or the next corner. And it has had me undone in the past where I took three muesli bars and when whatnot, you would usually last me four minutes. But then you start walking around those next corners and next corners and you catch yourself and it's like four or five o'clock in the afternoon and you remember you've not eaten anything since 10 o'clock in the morning, running low on water. So I uh, I can see that happening quite easily and not maybe the plan in the morning was to come back at morning tea time. I think sometimes I look at a hunting situation as are we going out there to get something or are we going out there to be back at a certain time? 
because sometimes you just keep going until you get something or, or that gets fluid. dark and you don't get something. Yeah, it's a fluid situation and unfortunately that's hard to plan for and I don't do that with clients to be fair and if I do, it's a special client that I know I can do that with that's prepared for it or it's comfortable temperature. It's We're not needing 18 litres of water because we're sweating through our brows. It's you know, it's very situational, but again, like Matt said, that comes from a few years of experience on the other end of the spectrum. So, you know, I guess you um, go hunting to get something, not to go for a long walk. So, you know, you just keep pushing yourself to that next, like I said, over that next hill to wanting to get that animal, and yeah, you can easily you can easily forget to, you know, eat or drink, and mm. just want to keep pushing yourself. I guess. All right, let's fast forward a little bit. You're heading up the mountain. You're heading out of camp. What did you take with you? So we had a list. Yeah, the the guy sent around a list of, I guess, everything to take. So, you know, got the got the game bags, got the knives, you know, got the first aid kits, got the PLB. Yeah, had had my food and water, and the gun. Um, yeah, it's pretty much pretty much everything. Okay, so we're not talking that you, you walked up the mountain with nothing and hmm. we're also saying there's some must-haves in there so that's that's a positive in my eyes i'm sitting there going hey you know plb first aid kit you, you need that stuff so but they're heavy and do you do much packing with a with a weighted pack oh, so what, what do you mean by that sorry so when you said before you were walking a lot with the kids and whatnot and, and mm-hmm. the national park do you do that with like a weighted pack on or is it just your body weight i don't when I'm working the kid, but when I'm in the national park, I always take a weighted pack. So I take pretty much everything that I take hunting. Yep. Obviously, I'm, I don't take the gun. In the no, of course, yeah, it's illegal. They'll get me arrested, but yeah, <laughs> so everything else I take. Oh, I'm just trying to get an understanding of just a fitness. Oh, I have an understanding of what's happened before we get to it, but I'm just trying to get that understanding of where you're at. And because we've never mm. met, so I'm trying to work out, all right, what – what uh, we covered training in the last episode or the episode before that and, you know, talking about the importance of actually training hunt-specific training. And it's one thing I think a lot of people overlook is it's sometimes I can, uh, you can climb up a mountain without a pack real easy and then you throw a pack on there and all these other things and it starts to become a lot more cumbersome, much, much harder to, mm. to actually do. So that's why I'm trying to sort of gauge where you're at because this is only your second hunt. And, you know, it's, that's very, very early. So I'm trying to work out where you're at to do this sort of hunt. So you're heading out, you've got all that, and take us through it. What were you feeling? How, how were you traveling? How long was the walk? How high were you climbing, et cetera? Temperature. Uh, so temperature was actually pretty overcast for December, so it was only about maybe 15 degrees for the day. Which is cool. For a December day, 15 degrees is, is cool. Yeah, it was a nice overcast day for hunting, so it was yeah, good. Uh, so we set off around 8.30 up the mountain. So, yeah, I, I did have, I guess, a bit of issue at the start. You know, it was steep. So, yeah, the, the, the mountain was a lot steeper than I, I thought it would be. You know, it had you know, that uh, red loose earth and quite rocky. Um, so, yeah, from the start, I had a, a bit of issues. Um, and the, the hiking boots I, I bought just weren't cutting it as so I was doing a lot of uh, slipping and falling even early on. Yeah, so that was yeah, pretty much from the outset. And I guess to fast forward an hour, so kept going as we were. 
And then um, the experienced hunter said to me, look, mate, are you okay with this? So this is only about 10% of what to expect. And at this point, I thought, yeah, I'll be fine. Uh, yeah, I've been, yeah, I mean, it's a bit steeper than I thought, but, you know, I'll keep at it. I think looking back at that point, I should have said, so you've, you've already been falling over and slipping a bit. Are you going to be okay? I guess at that point, I should have been asking myself and not, you know, I guess trying to be to whatever might show a prayer and looked at it objectively. I think this is one I toy with is we spoke about it a bit earlier, putting yourself in the fire to learn your limits. And there's sometimes safe ways to do that and unsafe ways to do that. And I also see a side of it, and this is, I don't have dodge, you can see this side, that someone has taken you out to private access and you don't want to let them down. Does that make sense? That even though you're struggling, I could see it being, and if I'm putting words in your mouth, Tom, let me know, but no, I can definitely was that. I, I can sit there and go, hey, I probably would push through as well because I've got this opportunity. If I don't do this, I'll never get the invite again. And I mean, hey, the last Dodge has taken me out once on private access and he stabbed me and I didn't whinge about it. You know, I ended up in emergency with infected hand, but don't worry about that. I didn't even tell him because, you know, I still might, haven't he, taken might not, back. he might not ask me and he still hasn't actually. I should have just told everybody, but that, I can, I can see from a new <laughs> hunter with all these obstacles and, you know, as I said, I try and put, I think I'm very good at being able to put myself in different people's shoes. I can understand you not wanting to let them down and whatnot. And then I can understand them also going, hey, they've done things so often. And we're talking about someone that's done this a lot. Like for him probably going up and down this hill, it's a regular occurrence. So he's not used to you not being able to. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think there was that sort of, thing of you know i've been invited here and i want to make a clown of myself and you know don't, don't want this guy to who's experienced hundreds to think i'm weak or unfit or whatever the case is but yeah I, I guess it's knowing when to push on and when to um know your limits but i guess at that stage you were still feeling okay yeah you weren't sick or anything you like you, you felt no this is only about an, an hour in so i was yeah i was fine i was just pushing through i was like yeah maybe i'm just i'm acclimatizing to the mountain i haven't Done anything this steep in the national park or when I was out with Kyle. So, yep. So, keep going, mate. Yeah, in still climbing. You've stopped. He's asked you, Hey, how are you feeling? And you went, I'm good. Let's keep going. Yep. So, about an hour or another two hours after that, the conditions on the mountainside had changed. I was getting a lot um, harder and I was, you know, having some bad falls. Um, so, you know, scraped up my hands, my arms, even scraped up my gun. So, I'd actually fallen on my gun at one point. And broken the the uh, clip on the the sling, whatever you call it. Yeah, so that um broke a few times. At this point, it was getting pretty. It was, it was on my. Oh, actually, I don't. I don't think this is what I signed up for, and you know, not exactly my cup of tea. So at that point, I said to the guy, "Look, mate, uh, I'm just slowing you down. You know, I'm falling all over the place, and you guys having to wait for me all the time. Look, why don't I just why don't I just go back and I'll, I'll meet you at the car? Pretty much." And at this point, he said, um, mate, I can't allow you to do that because if you're somewhere else on the mountain, I'm taking a shot at a goat. I can't take that shot if I, if unless I know where you are. So I guess hindsight, I should have said, 
mate, this is a bit dicey. I'm just, I'm going back down. You know, you can say whatever you want. But I guess maybe that, that's what I should have said. But I, at the time, I thought, well, got no choice. Got to just, you got to just uh, do what you can and try to get through it, really. So, were you wearing any blaze orange or are you just full camo? Just the hat. Okay. So you had something on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I had the hat and the, and just the, the um, camo shirt and army pants, really. Mm. So you've said, I don't, I want to go back down. And he said, you can't do it. And what, what, so what happened after that? You've had a chat about it? Yeah. So he said, um, I said, I want to go down. He said, mate, um, I guess from like a gun safety point of view, he's saying, I don't want to take a shot at an animal unless I know where you are. And then I was, I've said, well, I just said to myself, well, okay, I guess I just got to harden up a little bit and um, get through best I can. What was the time here? Was it, a, a, you know, you said it was maybe two hours? 11 or 12. Well, I mean, like, Eleven duration was. Is it an hour and a half into it? Two hours, three hours. So we started at eight thirty, and um, I guess about an hour was when he asked me if I wanted to keep going. So maybe another hour or two after that. So, so say say between two and three hours. Would you have been able to find your way back? Well, yeah, it was just it was just something straight down. We we had it. We've just gone. We've just gone up because we haven't um gone left or right or anything at this stage. It's just. Could you see the vehicle, or the camp? No, I couldn't see the vehicle. All right. Did you have a GPS or anything on like that? So you actually marked for camp so you could track back? I had marked it on the um, Avenza app on my phone. So I'd, I'd marked camp. Okay. Yep. yep. So, Good. But yeah, I guess, yeah, I can, I can understand from like a gun safety point of view, he's, he's worried about people being on the mountain when he takes a shot. I guess I can, yeah, I can understand that. But yeah. So you've kept going up? Yep. Kept going up. Yeah. So kept getting worse and worse, really. Uh, it was yes steep and it's thick up there and yeah it wasn't a walk in the park definitely wasn't what I experienced in the state forest um, so yeah just kept going up pretty much yeah I think we reached the top maybe in the afternoon maybe between one thirty and three we were up in the top of the mountain and you know having a glass looking at groups of goats so yeah I reckon around three thirty ish so the the other guys spotted a group of goats which is on the border of the property with the nature reserve so at this point we're just sort of waiting for the group of goats to come within the border of the, the property so at that point yeah so we're just at the top pretty much going around different you know kept still um, moving around but yeah also just i'm waiting for that group of goats yeah but just just seeing if there's any others as well if you're at the top were you just holding that elevation and working around or like had, had you relaxed a little bit at that point yeah, we're pretty much holding that elevation and 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 I'm moving around. Yeah. yeah, so by this stage, so it was about yeah three thirty in the Arvo. I reckon most of my water's gone. Pretty stuffed, if I'm going to be honest. And yeah, I mean to be honest, at that st- when you when you get to a certain point, you're not really thinking about the animals anymore. You're just thinking about getting back to your vehicle or whatever. You know, having a having a bit of a rest. Um, yeah, so I kept trying to keep up with the others, but you know, kept getting um, falling behind and. You know, losing my way in the thick brush. Um, not sure I mentioned it before, but I had I lost my UHF radio as well, so that was um, harder to keep in contact with the boys if I got lost. So it's in lost it on that trip since you've left the car. Yeah, so I'd I'd had it attached to the label of my bag, and it sort of when I fell, it must have I've fallen off somewhere. So I assume it's still up there somewhere. You said you've fallen behind and whatnot. Did you at that stage when you said you're feeling pretty weak and pretty crappy? Did you tell the guys you were with, this is, you know, I'm starting to feel really bad here? I didn't. I, I should have. 
I, I guess I just assumed that they saw what they saw that I, you know, kept falling. And uh, I guess that was an assumption I made that, you know, if I had to stop every now and again and kept losing my way, that that might have been an indication. But yeah, definitely, I, I should have been the one gone. Man, I'm, I'm getting a bit weak here. We should be going back or doing something else. At that point, you're how many hours in? You got to get back. You run out of water, and you're worst case halfway because you've got to go back. Yeah, so we're a th- we're a thousand meters up at the top. So even another, I mean, for them it might not have been long to get back down, but for me, I think it would have yeah still been several several hours. Yeah, so to fast forward six p.m. Um, so the the guy sees uh, a couple of the goats. Hold on for a sec. You've gone to six p.m. When you were talking about your pack and everything, just hearing this, it's getting late. Did you have a head torch? I got a head torch and all the yeah, got yeah. batteries. Did you have? Were you coming down the mountain? Were you? Or sorry, am I jumping ahead here? At this point, we're still top of the mountain. Okay, keep going. Sorry. So six p.m. Um, the guy sees a couple of goats come from the nature reserve in, onto the property. So he takes a shot at uh, two of them, and apparently one was killed and one was injured. So the two of them, you know, they said, oh, you know, it's a bit dicey, this bit of the mountain, so we'll, we'll leave you here um, and go see if we can recover the animals and yeah, pack them out. So they come back. How, can, sorry, just to, oh, sorry, just to ask, how far were the shots? I'm just trying to gauge travel time. I don't, I don't know, to be honest. Um, I would assume at least 100 or a couple hundred metres. Were you with them when they took the shot? No, so the... The guy that was leading the hunt heard the axes. He took. He said, "You, you guys wait over here, and I'll, I'll take the shot." Now, so he he moved away from you guys for what reason? Um, I know it could have been to get the the right viewpoint or something. I'm not sure. Um, but it was it was um, away a bit. So this is on a, a cliff edge. So then it's just going down to okay. look at the animal, I guess. Did you have any rain gear with you in the car? I did. So I was thinking, oh, it's you know, it's, it's not going to rain. I had extra food in the car. I was like, oh, I'm not going to eat. I'll just, I'll just leave it, you know. So obviously that's something that I, I should not have done. But <laughs> yeah, I had a rain jacket in the car. So so they've taken the shot. The other two have left you to go and put one animal down and recover the other animal, and obviously you know mm-hmm. do what you got to do in the processing side of things, field dressing. Did yep. they? Did you get a communication? We told, oh, we'll be back in an hour, two hours. Did they know? Did you have a UHF because you said you lost yours? Did they give you someone else's? How? How? What happened there? Was I think they might have given me one of theirs uh, UHFs, but uh, they come back. They came back half an hour, so it was six thirty p.m. by that stage, and the base you might said we're unable to recover them. It's six thirty. Let's get off the mountain. We'll we'll try to find an easy way off for you. Pretty much was how that went. Okay. So yeah, the stage. Yeah, I'm not doing the best. You know, it was sort of. Um, I could feel that I wasn't 100, but I didn't know. I guess how bad I was, but it was getting hard for me to sort of walk at that stage. When you say it was getting hard to walk, are you talking that you were cramping? Are you talking like vomiting? Like what? Why was it hard to walk? Well, it's just getting hard to keep going and you know put one foot in front of the other one. Okay. That's the best way I can describe it. Sorry if that's not. No, that's uh, fine. So you just, from an energy point of view, you just had no energy to to keep moving. Yeah, I was just pretty much pretty much buggered. Yeah, so I only had two liters all day of water and and you know a handful of muesli bars really. Yeah, so kept going the best I could, but you know I was getting weak and looking back, I think I was getting a bit I'm delirious. So I had to, but I had to stop 
you know, three times in sh- short period of time just to get a little bit of their the last their their water and you know try to get some energy to to make like a final push off the mountain pretty much. Do you know how many liters they had with them? I know one of them had a five liter bag. Uh, what do you call it? Um, like a bladder. Yeah, uh, five liter um hydration bladder. And the other one, I think maybe three liters. I'm not sure. It could be more. I don't, yeah, I don't know if they knew how bad I was at that stage, but you know, they'll just push me to keep going, saying it's, it's not that far, it's not that far. Let's just get off the mountain before it's dark. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll still keep getting lost, and they kept having to stop. And you know, they would they would um, yell out and say, "Oh, wherever here, wherever here, keep keep going this way." Um, so by seven. We had found a rock with a so by 7 p.m. So, you know, you can sort of feel like you can sort of feel a nightfall coming along. So there was a we found a rock with a running stream, and by this stage, like exhaustion proper had kicked in. So it's like your legs shake violently. I'm not sure if you've ever had that one. And you know, so I just couldn't continue, and I was I could feel myself being I'm delirious. Um, yeah, I could got the leg shaking, and you know, you can feel the cold shiver come on, even though you know it wasn't wasn't particularly cold and you know be doing all this exercise yeah so they said oh you just just stop here for a while and we'll keep going i'm like mate um there's no way i'm going <laughs> i'm screwed pretty much yeah so told them yeah there's no way i'm getting down after they realized i couldn't go that's like we'll we'll make a fire and set camp here for tonight um i'd said to them look if you if you guys want just leave me and i'll just call my plb and you guys get off the mountain yourselves you know because um i think with their fitness they probably could have done it before most of it by by nightfall. Did you have a headlamp with you? I did, yeah. Good, yeah. Did you have a emergency blanket? Got the thermal blanket in the first aid kit. Okay, yep. Yeah. Good. Yeah, we need a one into that shine, whatever they're yep. called. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Reflective material, yep. Yep. Um, so they went off to make a fire. Uh, you know, so they're off collecting, you know, the, the firewood and making the fire and stuff. And, you know, they... They both went off? Yeah, and they, they, not far, a few metres in it. Yeah, so I basically just heard them saying, look, I'm not going to be embarrassed by, you know, pulling a PLB. We'll just get through the night. And yeah, so they lit the fire, um, wrapped me in the reflective blankets. Yep. And um, filtered some water from the stream for me uh, with the, like the, the life store and um, the one where you uh, pull it in. I'm not sure what, what that one's called, but. Yeah. Did you have did you have one of those or they had theirs? I, I had my own life straw and they also had theirs and get the one where you can put it in the bottle. I'm not sure what, what that one's called. And yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, and I guess at this stage, you know, I had a few nuts left and a muesli bar. We, maybe half a muesli bar or a muesli bar. We, we shared that and that was the last of our food pretty much. Yeah. And yeah, I guess after that, you know, I started to get worse and the hypothermia kicked in and you shake violently all over. Um, yeah. But I guess I was really grateful for them to, you know, keeping the fire going all night and filtering the water and the blankets because that, you know, could have uh, kept me from a fate a lot worse. So that's something I'd always be grateful for. So. A few moments ago, you said that you were getting delirious or noticed that you probably weren't as focused as you could be. At this point, can you tell now or could you tell at the time? Like were you, was your mind working properly or were you delirious? Was there things that were you were seeing, you were hearing that weren't real or like had had you – it's not really hearing things, it's just feeling that you're not in that correct mental state. And it's hard to explain. Hmm. But yeah, it's it's not like you're it's not like you're feverish, but you just sort of um 
you know, bit, bit, um, bit, a bit, I'm woozy in the head. I don't know. Maybe that makes sense. Yeah. Just not at capacity, not at your peak. Mm. Yeah. All right. So what time are we talking here? Well, sorry, what time are we talking here by the time? This would be about when we first stopped till seven. So now it's probably eight. So it would have been, you know, the um, start of nightfall. Right. And then what played on for the rest of the evening? So, yeah, rest of the evening, you know, had had the violent shakes pretty much all night. You know, even though I was, you know, had the hypothermia, even though I was in, in front of, you know, a, a fire, um, you know, that kept going. But around 1, 2 a.m. in the morning, I felt myself going downhill quickly and I don't know if it was, you know, panic or it was me, you know, getting, getting worse or, you know, I just, I started to worry, you know, I wouldn't be able to make it off the, the mountain alive. And then, then you sort of worried, you know, will I see my kid again and that sort of thing. And you get a little bit um, emotional, I guess. Mm-hmm. No, I can understand that, especially being a parent. Yeah. And so at that point I started to like insist the others, I started to insist on pulling the PLB. And I'm like, you know, just kept, I just kept saying, look, you know, I don't know if um, I just feel myself getting worse like right now. So, you know, we just have to, I just want you to pull it, just pull it. Did you not have yours or were you not in the state to pull your own? Well, yeah, I, I wasn't even in the, like the, the state to even do it like mentally or physically. I don't think so. I was, yeah, a bit, um, I was still pretty, pretty out of it still. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, it was, it was the middle of the night and, you know, you just feel like, oh, What's, what, what's happening with my body? You know what I mean? You just... Had you slept at all, you think? Or... No, nah, well, we're sleeping on a hard rock, so maybe 10 minutes all night. Yeah, napping. I'm sleeping on our packs on a, on a hard rock. It's also at a, you know, a bit of an incline angle, so it's, a, yeah, it's, it's, it's not even like it's a flat rock. So. And were you, at that point, were you reminiscing about your night you spent with Kyle? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, would have um, <laughs> would have done anything to be <laughs> in a tent on a without on the a mattress on any day of the week. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Had you? Did you have your phone on you? I did. So when the other guy finally, you know, consented and you know punched the PLB, I then sort of did. I remember I had my phone on me and then I had the emergency app as well. So and then they were able to sort of get in contact with with them and give them some like extra info. Did you have a reception? Yeah, at that point I did. But at other points throughout the day, I didn't on the mountain. So, yeah, I'm not sure why. Did the other guys have their phone? I'm, I'm just seeing so my head. I'm thinking, why did you pull the PLB if you had phone reception? I think one was, I guess, why it didn't occur to me until after we'd pulled it. And, yeah, secondly, um, the others didn't. I think one didn't have reception and one's phone might have cracked from memory. On the PLB, did you register? Okay, I mean, I reckon I know the answer here because I did. Yes, you registered where you were going, not where I was going, but I did register it uh, before the trip. Yeah, I was going to say because you met you met him somewhere else to drive to the property, so you weren't able to say, "Hey, I'm going to be here." But by register, I just registered on the AMSA website and listed my wife as my emergency contact. But you didn't say I'm going to be in this area. Yeah, because I I knew. The, is that a thing, Matt? The suburb where we met, but not. Yeah. So what I always do is when I'm on my PLB, or whenever I go out for a hunt, is I put in I'm going to be on this date to this date, and this is the vicinity. So if I'm going to a state forest, I'll ride in there, whatever the state forest is, because if you trigger your PLB, the first thing they do is they do look at any information if you've registered where you're going to be out. So 
a lot of problems that our emergency services have is people throw their PLBs out and it will go to the tip and it will get triggered and all of a sudden they're looking at the PLB going, oh, is someone there? Is someone not? And there's a resource issue because they're going to have to go and check it out because someone could be there in trouble, but that's not the case. So they they always recommend that you say, oh, I'm going to be in this vicinity. Don't have to go, hey, this is the coordinates, but this is what they am. So they actually know that you're in that area. The PLB has gone off in that area. Uh, this is serious. We need to look into this. Mm. Yeah, so I had yeah registered it, but not a particular location, but because I had that app on my phone, we were able to sort of get through to the emergency services with the three-word code. I'm not sure if you're unfamiliar with that one. And then we were able to give them some more details. So the emergency app, can we can you break that down for listeners who haven't heard of it before or and how it works? What's it called and how it works? I know you just said the three words. I know what that means, but I think it's called New South New South Wales Emergency, I think. I think it's Emergency Plus off the top of my oh, head. Oh, yeah, that, that's right. It, it's Emergency Plus. So if you have an emergency, you click a button and it gives you three words and then it calls Triple uh, O for you. And you use those three words and they're able to locate your GPS based on um, those three words. So I guess I've got some sort of uh, back-end computer system that does the um, triangulation. The app actually... If you open it up, it it tracks you and has your coordinates. So mm. it does it for two reasons. A, if you've got that, you can just give them the coordinates because sometimes it's hard if you're in an area you don't know and you don't know what streets or what the cross street is, you can just say, here's the coordinates. It's much easier. So it tends to have that at all times and it tracks your phone. It's, it's a really good feature. So each coordinate has the three words attached to it. So it's just a computer system and you say Labrador hat, microphone and then that means you're at this particular coordinate is that i haven't seen that side of it i've never actually i I, the only time i've used it it's it literally shows where you are and it tells you your coordinates so i have a different one mine's called what three words and basically once you pull open your phone again works offline and every square on the map has three words and you just click on the one that's near your dot on your location and it'll, like I said, Labrador hat, microphone, and they'll go in and say, oh, yeah, that's cool. you're at Mittigong Marketplace or they'll, yep. they know exactly. Yeah, so it's just a way because a lot of people might not even know how to read coordinates, Matt. I know you're just jotting off numbers, but um, it's a simple way for children to look at it too. If someone's got it, it doesn't, you know, it's just an easy way to do things. So I highly recommend that one. I wonder if that's new. Again, I haven't used this app for a while because I generally have like GPS and I know my coordinates and whatnot. So I've only ever used Emergency Plus, but I will say I haven't used it in a couple of years. So it says the Emergency Plus app displays a triple zero caller's current what three words address. Okay. So it's doing it without you knowing about it. I just actually jumped on the app. I had to download it again. So previously it used to just give you latitude and longitude now i see it has that what three words so that's really interesting that's mm. good to know right so we've given our what three words and so you've hit the plb i've never hit one so i don't understand well, like i know the theory behind what happens what's the next step when you hit the button and then what happens and then you wait really um and then it yeah started making noises and started uh, flashing lights and yeah keeps flashing the whole time 
What happens in the back end? So in the back end, someone, I guess someone in SES or whoever it is, get the call or get the notification. And, um, and they also called my wife as well. At, so it's 2.30 in the morning. Uh, two questions before we keep going here. PLB-wise, did you check yours was working and do a test before you left? To be honest, I didn't. Uh, it's one of those things. People take for granted. It was also pretty new too. I, I bought it solely to give my wife comfort in case anything ha- ever happened to me. I was like, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll never need it. But <laughs> yeah, it's just something that will make her happy. At 2.30 in the morning when it rings. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I ended up needing to use it. So, um, and it works. Thank God. <laughs> Jeez, that'd be scary for your wife though. Your wife getting this phone call. Had you had any communication with her? No. So I found out she had been trying to call me all day because, you know, we're meant to be back home. We're meant to meet at a certain place where um, the guy picked me up so I could go back home. On the same day or? Yes. At what time? Yeah. So we meant to had been uh, leaving, you know, obviously uh, before nightfall and driving back. Wow. So she's she's not sleeping at all then. She's stressing. And then she gets a 2.30 call and um, I guess, yeah, that's the thing that I regret most is that, you know, she had to get that call and she's like, I thought you were dead. You know, I thought, you know, you know, I have to raise our son by, by myself and um, suffice to say, I'm still in the doghouse. So. This is, uh, I just want to rewind for a second. So there was a predetermined time that you were supposed to be back. Was that mentioned by the other two people in the party at any point? Not predetermined time, just gone back in the afternoon. That that's a predetermined time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a four p.m., but I'm going to be back on the same day. I'll be back in today. the afternoon. Yeah. Was that mentioned or talked about when you're at seven o'clock at the top of the mountain and like, oh, we're not going to make that meeting time? Uh, no. So, or do you not? You're not sure. It wasn't. Wasn't. That sure. wasn't really discussed. It was. It was only. It was only once we're sort of. Did anyone have any sort of form of communication to let your wife know? Like, I'll tell you what, I know why you're in the doghouse, mate, and I'm with your wife. Like, so if that was my partner and I knew, hey, it's going to be in the afternoon and it's 2 a.m. and I haven't even heard anything and then I get a call from that, oh, mate, you'd never leave. Oh, you'd never be hunting again. Has she done that to you? Like, well, she, she said I'm allowed, to go, I'm allowed to go hunting again if she comes with me, so... She's she's coming on my hunts now. So. <laughs> Die together. What a model. Like what a great couple. Yeah. Like <laughs> props to her. That's what I regret most is her getting that call. Honestly, um, something that I would, you know, it's the one call you don't want to get in your, your whole life. So we should be interviewing her and getting her side of that. Oh coming up God. next week, Angie. She's um definitely got some choice words. <laughs> I just could not imagine I didn't the, know that detail. the gut-wrenching feeling of missing a timeline by so long. Like we're not talking and she's got the yeah. We're not talking an hour. You know, things happen now, I get it, but you're talking on um, afternoon. Let let's go mm. seven o'clock. Like that's that's, that's well past evening. afternoon. Yeah. You're talking seven hours after that. Man, like Oh, and you've got a one-year-old at home. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so we've got a – yeah, she, she gets a call at 2.30 a.m. with the one-year-old next to her and, yeah. Can I ask what the call said? I don't know, but I know um, it was the – I think it first was the SES guys. And so I, I knew that the actual – I don't want to jump ahead, but the uh, so the crew who were part of the airlift team 
had been in constant contact with her, as had the the local SES team. So that they, they've been calling her the whole time, giving her status updates, and and apparently the first thing they said when I found out where it was, apparently they said, "How the f did those idiots get up that high?" Right? So, oh. That was the first things they said um, to her. So okay, hold on. You sort of alluded to where we're going, but you've got SES and then you've got the airlift rescue or the helicopter rescue communicating with your wife. I can't see that as a positive when she doesn't know what's going on. No, I, I think that's just striking more fear, isn't it? She said to me, I thought you were dead, so you don't want that. No one wants that. So ah, that, that's no, that's not a um yeah, well, anyway, sorry. So so this is 2.30 a.m. They keep going. How long between pressing that button and, yeah, what happens next? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, you know, be, you know, throwing it under the bus, but, you know, his reaction was to me pulling PLB, you've put us in a shitstorm and you've put us in a lot of trouble and I guess that made me feel bad um, because I didn't want to, you know, be responsible for, you know, getting other hunters in trouble, obviously, so that made me, yeah, I was like, I just came out here to learn some, some stuff and not uh create a storm so that was um yeah interesting experience but in terms of the rescue the helicopter made a pass at 3 30 a.m and then they left uh so i later find out talking to the paramedic that it was too dangerous for them to do a, a night winch operation because you know you're 850 meters up top of a mountainside it's rocks, there's gum tree sticking out of rocks. Uh, they said, we would have only done that if your, your head was bleeding out and you're about to die. So, yeah, so thankfully that didn't happen. <laughs> so. You've seen the helicopter come and go. What were your feeling or thoughts seeing them leave? Because I'm just trying, I've never been in that situation and I'm just trying to understand what your thoughts were. Were you excited, elated that you saw them there knowing, hey, help's arrived? And then was it worse when they left? Like, because you, you weren't communicating with them at this stage, were you? No, no, no uh, communication apart from that um, SOS call that the, the other guy had made. So when you talk about emotions, I actually felt sort of uh, embarrassed. So I, was, uh, so I was actually sort of regretting them coming. You know, I felt like, oh, what if I caused and, you know, would have, you know, I'm responsible for this um, crappy situation and, you know, which I obviously am regretted. So a bit of obviously glad that I'll be getting off the mountain, but also felt, you know, um, like I was, I had destroyed their hunt and, you know, you, you sort of feel those emotions. All right, I'll, I'll stop you just there for a second. And, and especially for our listeners here, I sort of want to make it clear out there if you get yourself in a situation where it's out of your control and you feel it's over your head, you should never ever feel that you can't pull the PLB or you can't. It's like being sick or being injured and going, I'm not going to call an ambulance. Like that's for me, there's no shame in that. Like you're talking life and death stuff here. And, yeah, you know, blokes are terrible at it. And I, I talk about this all the time. Blokes are horrible at seeking help and, there's this macho attitude that there's a reason blokes die a couple of years earlier than women, and it's it's on the back of that macho bravado, in my opinion. So I want, from my perspective, and I don't know what your thoughts are here, Dodge, but for me, 
no one should ever feel ashamed going, you know what, I need help, whether it be whatever it is. I don't care what it is. If you need help and you need to pull that PLB, pull the damn PLB. Like it's insane that you're hearing you say, I'm embarrassed or I was worried or I, I could have ruined the hunt. Who gives a damn? Sorry, man, I just dodge your thoughts. Uh, no one else knows what you're going through. Irrelevant of if they're right next to you, around you, it's you that knows what you're feeling and you know your body's limits. I'm not just saying you in specific but like us in general. If Matt and I are together and I say I'm unwell, I'm going to pull my PLB, he needs to, no matter how delirious I am, trust my judgment in knowing my limits. It might not be Matt's limits. I might be just eight metres from the car and have run out of that last piece of like dove chocolate that I'm pretty keen on. But <laughs> like for whatever reason, I want to pull the PLB. That's my that's my like that's my choice yeah so again i understand why you feel that and i i I do get that but i just want you to know that you didn't do the wrong thing you did the right thing there was some there was we'll get into the wrap-up at the end and my opinion it's funny because the paramedic who i I spoke to i don't want to skip too forward but he said mate um you, you did the right thing there's no way you're getting off this mountain in your condition it took the specialist SAS bloke who climbed up, it took them an hour, hour and a half and there's, they do this for a living. Wow. So they're like, in your condition, mate, this, there's no way you're getting down. So, Yeah, right. Yeah. So I still want to just touch on the fact that you had your phone and you had some reception. Did you, was there a phone call to anyone at that point or a text message or you said you realized your wife had been I, trying to ring honestly, you? I, yeah, but I didn't even think about it. Honestly, I just was in a, like mentally, I just wasn't there. It was right, just... So that's the delirium side of things. But there was a, at some point. I, there... I, I didn't even think about a phone. And, yeah, sorry, to interrupt, but I didn't even think about a phone until um, the guy said, "Does does anyone have a phone?" And I thought, "Oh yeah, I've got a phone." Like, right. So I guess yeah, mentally, I was obviously wasn't uh, alert. Yeah, or... there's some delirium there, and then you realised you had the phone. You'd obviously pulled the PLB, and you had reception though. Was there a chance to make a phone call? Well, yeah, I'd see, obviously I didn't, even, I didn't think about it. It was just, oh, here's my phone, make, make a call. And they called the you know, SOS. So, yeah, yeah, just like mentally, I just wasn't even thinking about so that. So your phone wasn't used at all? No. Did anyone know, like, did you, any of you guys have a chat about who had what? Like, I know, I think it was Kyle maybe talking about one of the episodes we had where we spoke about when you go out for hunting with people that you have that chat saying, oh, I've got this. I think it was when we did our hunt together, Dodge yeah. with Kyle. No, he, he brought it up and we do like a brief of, yeah, I've got a PLB, got it's here. Yeah. This is my yeah, PLB, yeah, yeah. it's here. Did that occur to you, Tom? Did Was that conversation well, held between you guys? The guy who set up the hunt had created a list that everyone needs to bring. So I guess there was that common equipment, but um, – yeah, I had uh, yeah lost my radio, but yeah, had everything else really. Yeah, but so what I'm asking is, did you just have a chat saying, oh, "I've got a first aid, it's here in the pack. I've got a, a mobile phone their own. on me. Is what I'm I've getting. got a power bank. I've got you know." So people, if something went wrong, there was. I think there's an assumption that everyone had it because it was on the list. Right. Okay. Yeah, bit of personal responsibility to yeah. put in your pack. The other reason Matt asked that, and just irrelevant to your story, is. If we're all going together, there's three or four of us going together and we're staying together, there's a possibility we don't all need to carry everything. So we don't all need to carry super extensive first aid kits. We don't all need to carry, you know, the 
satellite phone or or whatnot or spare water or spare food there's the opportunity to to share the load i understand if you're mm. splitting up that's not an option but in this situation you know three people together there might have been that just in the in future to uh, to share the load so make sure mm. Ange carries her weight is what i'm asking yeah i, I think i'll be definitely stuck with the uh, the um, heavy pack on on future hunts so. <laughs> Mate, i think you should carry her <laughs> if she lets you back out there and stay within phone reception. But then who are you going to register your PLB to if you're both out there? Uh, well, yeah, have to be have to be her, her dad probably. <laughs> <laughs> Matt and I will get a 2.30 in the morning ring. Righto. So PLB's been hit. You're delirious. Uh, you've already sort of given away part of the ending. What's They've done a flyover. Then what happened? So 7 a.m., um, so two things happened. They did the, the flyover again and – winch the paramedic down who comes down and sees me and then um the two specialist ses guys i alluded to escort the others off the mountain yeah so the helicopter goes back um to its home base or whatever and does a refuel and comes back an hour later and winches us both up the mountain so in, in the winch the cord comes down from the helicopter and the paramedic attaches um the cord to both of you and then you have to um tuck in your head like a turtle and um so you don't cause the rope to spin as you go up basically so you weren't on a stretcher you were just yep sorry you were on a stretcher or you weren't no 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 i wasn't is this still on the mountain yes so where you were stopped yeah so maybe about 20 meters from where we were stopped when there was a tiny bit of a clearing the rope comes down and the ropes are attached and we go up in the air. Okay. And yeah, I think um, a little bit after that, he says like, mate, I just got to say, thanks for picking such a, a scenic place to be rescued. <laughs> took some awesome photos, mate. So. <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> what first aid did he render to you once he got there? So just, you know, gave me some, gave me some water, offered me a energy drink basically. And, um, yeah, you know, I didn't feel like an energy drink at that point, but I was just yeah. Electrolytes type stuff or Yeah, you just just offered me like a would have been probably um, the It's like a coffee thing. Uh, I was gonna say like it probably a, could be a ex- syrup. Like so espresso in a can. Oh really? Yeah, offered me that. Did he I would have thought Did he have a blue V more. with him? Yeah, I know. Dodge <laughs> Dodge's gonna be was... hitting PLBs <laughs> left, right, and center. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know what it's called, but it's like an ex- uh, espresso in a can. So it's like a black coffee. Seems like proper really? first aid. Hold on, hold on. Coffee's a diuretic. Like if you're dehydrated, the last thing you want to do is have a coffee. It must be some sort of electrolyte drink. So Even I'm thinking it's got to be something along the lines of when someone has like a hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar levels, and they're going into that side of it, you give them energy drinks drink, yeah. it's a real sugary drink but you can buy specific ones so you get like if you go to the chemist you can get like jelly beans that are diabetic jelly beans to because they've got a heap mm. more sugar to get you up high mm. very quickly oh, and yeah. i'm guessing it's probably something like that because you're needing energy but you're needing fluid mm. if you've got caffeine that's nah that, that doesn't sound right but anyway i could be wrong right yes yeah, so, um, black coffee yeah, i'm not 100 sure yeah, he's, um, had, he's had a double espresso. He's on <laughs> with soy soy milk, please. Yeah, so he winches us up into the helicopter, and then we um yeah arrive at our barrel oval. So and drive to the hospital, and yeah, they put me on some IVs and send me on my uh, merry way. 
I want to talk about your merry way because your wife, was she waiting for you at the hospital? Yeah, she was. And then you got admitted. How long were you there and what did they say? Uh, they basically just said, yeah, had um, low low blood sugar, had yeah, had some um, hypothermia, so to keep warm, basically. And how long were you in for? Uh, not that long, so just a few hours. And then um, my wife just uh, looked after me at home just to make sure I was, I was right pretty much. How long did it take you to feel back to normal? I know that's a really poor choice of words, but before the hunt to obviously what happened to get back to feeling like you did before the hunt rather than normal? I guess it depends if you're talking like physically or mentally. So Both. I think they're both important elements. So let's unpack physical first and then let's unpack mental after. So physically, I guess it took me two days to feel like average, maybe another week to feel like okay and then yeah yeah then you sort of um slowly feel like you're back to normal physically so maybe yeah two or three weeks of feeling 100 percent and yeah mentally it was a challenge at the start you know especially when you you know you're like i could have died up there could have left my kid an orphan you know what i mean you know that sort of um yeah and you know when you see your your hiking boots you know it gives you like a bit of a like a flashback so yeah yeah it took me a good the good month or so just to feel mentally okay, I think. so. Don't discount the effects of this on your mental health going forward too. Like even just that little comment there about the boots, like that's PTSD, right? And you, yeah. you might not see it from the inside or you may, I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, don't – we've had that discussion. Don't be afraid to talk. But a bit of background, Tom and I, I heard about the situation. I reached out to Tom and we had a pretty lengthy Actually, it was a brief conversation at first and then a lengthy conversation after. Mm-hmm. And one of my suggestions to Tom was to write it down once his mind cleared, just to, for multiple reasons and just for his own clarity on things. And I know I'm guilty of this. My mind fills in blanks after some time. Mm-hmm. And if you've been through a situation where your mind was not at best when you're up there, you know, your mind is already filling in that. It has to because your mind can't just go from here to here. It wants to fill in that timeline. So, yeah, so I, I think that, that that was a really good suggestion. That was something I did because already I've forgotten some of their little details. When I read, you know, reread, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that, that happened. And, yeah, there, there was this little detail and, you know, I slipped here and almost smashed my head on a rock, you know what I mean? So there's like little details that you don't um always think about. I, I think that's a good one. One of the... One of the things in first aid or an emergency response situation is the debrief. And Hmm. it's important to be able to talk about it. When a situation occurs like this, you do have to be able to express yourself and talk about it. And whether that be with a mate, whether it be with a counsellor, a psychologist, that debrief sometimes is so important to be able to break down what occurred and be able to move forward because I know a lot of people that have been in traumatic positions that it then impacts the rest of their life. And one of the positives I'm taking out of this conversation, as I said, Tom, I've never met you. This is the first time I'm meeting you online. But the fact that you're already planning to get back out there with your wife, that's a real positive in my books. And I always talk about that for me, fail just is – first attempt in learning when you break out the word fail and 
as long as you learn from it, that's a positive. And you didn't die, which is, I'm really glad. Let's make that clear. Cause so am I. <laughs> it, you know what? Cause it could have got worse. Mm. And yeah, definitely. you're, I think you're extremely lucky. And I think all parties have made some mistakes in this. And it's probably a really good opportunity for people to reflect on all the different things we've spoken about tonight and to be prepared. I, I hate using the scouts motto, be prepared, but you know what? Like you do have to think about worst case scenario. You, you do have to think about, hey, when things do turn sour, am I ready to go? Because a lot of people think they are, but they probably aren't there. And you don't know until you're in those situations as well. So that's mm. a really tricky one. Well, what are you prepared for? Like I'm prepared for my experiences of my previous hunting experience, but I'm not prepared for ones I haven't gone through because I, I just it's really hard to prepare for hypotheticals. You can think you're prepared and you think you've got the right stuff if you've got a snake bite and you think you've done the training, you've got your bandages and whatnot, and you know how to wrap it. But then to get one, and like you said, Matt, to deal with the pain of a situation and then try and keep clear mind, I just it takes skills. That takes training. It, it does. And you just took the words out of my mouth, training. Mm. We have spoken so many times about using a firearm, about settling in behind the garden and dry firing just to get comfortable. How many people have grabbed that snake bandage and applied it to themselves? Mm. Once in your first aid course, that's it. Well, if half that. the time in the first aid course, it's not even to you. You do it to a partner. Mm. So there's a big difference between doing something to yourself and doing it to something someone else. So for me... They're things that you should train. We talk about, we've talked, you know, one of the last episodes we talked about physical training, putting on that pack with the weight, walking. Why are you not thinking about, oh, I've got a tourniquet. I'm going to apply that to my leg in case I ever have an incident where I break a bone. It's an open fracture that's penetrated the skin. I'm in trouble here. So, yes, I get where you're coming from, Dodge, and saying, hey, these things we don't know about. and it is a really tricky one. I agree. But I do also think there are some things that you can practice continually to put yourself in a better position if something goes wrong. It's just one of those things. You never think it's going to happen to you. It's always, oh, I'll get one just, just in case, but it will never happen to me. That's, you know, it happens to other people. You know what I mean? Mate, it is. It's one of those things that happens all the time is that people have that attitude, it won't happen to me. And then it does and they're unprepared or they're not ready to be able to deal with the situation. So glad you're coming on the podcast to share your experience because it is a learning opportunity for a lot of people out there, myself included, Us, yeah. to really think about not just like I just touched on it about training physically for a hunt but also training first aid, checking PLBs. Like I'm, I'm glad that it works, but you'd never tested it. Like that could have gone south if you didn't have that. Mm. If no one else had one, if um, and I've said it many a times before, man, I'm, I'm jumping on the Garmin in reach because I just think it's next level compared to the, the PLB. I'll, I'll probably still carry a PLB as a backup because I'm all about having a first and second, sometimes even a third plan because you can never be too ready to go. But uh, it's a, it's a pretty insane story, 
But I think the takeaway is I'm glad you're safe and I'm glad you're all right. I'm glad you you still want to get out there. But, geez, there's some, some things that we can learn from this. Is there anything you're investing in immediately to change your kit, Tom? Apparently he's going for accurate hunts. He's going to get <laughs> Guided. a, uh, a guiding um, opportunity with them. No, I don't know. <laughs> you know what happens. Our guests do get invites, so, yeah. <laughs> Next time I'm just uh, preparing for worst case scenario and, you know, if, if I need to bring a gallon of water and I need to bring half an hour trolley from Woolworths, I'm, I'm going to bring that and I'm going to bring every every little thing I have at home, I think, just about. Do you think a blue V would have helped you in this situation? Because I know Dodge is thinking about that right now. It is uh, definitely possible, Dodge. Thank you. You're welcome. But my problem is I would have had it about 18 steps from the vehicle <laughs> that I would have been left in with this. fairness, you probably would have had four in your pack. They do come as a four pack, you know, four for 10. Uh, back on the in-reach slash PLB situation, we've spoken about it in depth before. If anyone's just jumping on our podcast now and this is the episode you're listening to, the difference between them, if you're running a PLB, you hit SOS, Exactly this situation happens. Whoever you've got as a contact thinks you're dead. No one thinks, oh, he's got a sprained ankle, he's got a flat battery or anything like that. There's nothing to communicate with them what the actual problem is. The benefit- Can I also just say there, Go. a PLB, because we've thrown that in a few times, is a personal locator beacon right. because there might be people in there that haven't heard that terminology and I agree with everything Dodge is saying, but I just wanted to make that clear. PLB, it means personal locator beacon. Now, I Matt said he would carry both. I do carry both. I've got a PLB on my bino harness at all times. And the other one I carry is my Garmin inReach. Now, there's minis, there's compacts, there's bigger ones, handhelds. The one I've got is a 66i GPS. Now, it runs about $700, but then you can also choose different plans attached to it. I pay $25 a year to keep it alive and then I choose each month I want to turn it on. Now, I just had it turned on recently when I went to New Zealand. While I was over there, it tracked all my spots. I could send messages when I was out of reception to the wife. The mini one, it allows you to send preset messages. So you can't say, hey, Ange, I'm stuck on the mountain wrapped in plastic. The helicopter's coming. But what you can say is um, I'll be late I'll be late, I'll be late, anything like that. Or you can preset the messages to whatever you want. You just set them on your computer and I think there's 10 of them. We're on our way, um, we're unsuccessful, we're lost. It's basic. But those things run, you know, $400. So for that extra couple of hundred dollars to have the ability to send a text message. And again, this is one of those things that if you're hunting in a group, there's a possibility that you all chip in and buy it maybe or one person carries it. I carry it from a guide's point of view. I don't ask my clients to carry it. It's on the, I send that list out that you've just mentioned, Tom, in this chat. It's in the nice-to-haves but not the necessities. I break it down into must-haves, nice-to-haves, and then gadgets that are, you know, there if you need to. And I have it down in that second category. So it's highly recommended. Um, If there's anyone local to the Southern Highlands and wants to try it, you're welcome to come and borrow mine. It's not hard to use if you use an iPhone or a, or an Android, you can link it up with an app on your phone. Even if you don't have reception, you can send a message off your phone so you don't have to type through the damn thing because it's pretty hard. Remember the old Nokias when you just had to, you know, scroll, press the numbers to get the letters? It's a bit like that. So 
that's yeah, a lot of take homes from this episode. But can I just say the Garmin Inreach Explorer is seven hundred bucks mm. now, Tom? Seven hundred bucks for your life? <laughs> Would you reflecting on what's happened? Are you going to go buy one of those things for seven hundred dollars? I am definitely thinking about it. Hundred percent. Come and borrow mine for your next hunt with Ange, and just give it a go. Mm. So the other thing I was going to say or ask is. Has there been a cost involved with hitting the PLB? Have you been charged um, with helicopter things? or? So I've got private health insurance, so that theoretically covers it. So I've got the bill for the, the ground ambulance, so from the helicopter to the hospital. But I haven't got the bill for the helicopter, which is making me really nervous. <laughs> nah, okay, so I've got hopefully some good news. I, I sat down with my health fund provider only probably a week ago. And I actually gave them the little bit I knew about this story, but I knew you'd been airlifted out by Chopper. And I asked them and said, does my cover cover this? And they said that it is still classified as an emergency service, whether it be ambulance or helicopter, that you are, if you have that cover, you are safe. So don't take my word on it because that's my health provider, but that's what they said to me when I questioned them on that and I gave your scenario. So hopefully that might be the same for whoever you're with. Yeah, hopefully because I was looking at a New South Wales ambulance website and apparently the maximum charge is around six grand. So <laughs> mm. that'd be definitely something we want to avoid. You said there you got the bill from the ambulance drive. I know how far that ambulance drive is from that oval to the hospital. It's about 480 meters. Yep. So I'm interested to know how much that that bill was. You can tell me off here. It's fine, but it was about one dollar per meter. So <laughs> yeah, 500 bucks or so. It's interesting. Well, I mean, I've learned a lot. I've got some definitely a lot of take homes from it. I know Matt's nodding his head. He's, it's been a really informative evening tonight, Tom. I've appreciated your honesty and delving into those emotions because we've said it before. Men struggle with that. I, you know, I'm not a fan of talking about. My emotions and feelings, Matt and I cry separately off air to each other, but we don't do it on air. So it's 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 a big thing for you to come on and do it. And the one thing I really wanted to get out of this was education and, and learning. And I really applaud you and thank you for providing that to us. Yeah, Norris, I appreciate it. I guess, yeah, the in terms of the emotional, that was the the mental stuff was definitely, you know, a lot harder to get over than the the um, physical side of it. But yeah, I think especially when you have a young family that, you know, that, that, that weighs on your mind, you know. So I've got a baby at home, you know. Is that kid going to grow up without a father because of some stupid shit I did? Yeah, it adds a, another element to it that I don't think, and I'll put my hand up here, I'm, I'm guilty of it. As I, and I've said on the podcast before, geez, I did some dumb stuff when I was young and single as opposed to now I'm so much more tame because I know I've got that family and I've got, three little humans that rely on me and I wouldn't want to leave my wife without me. I mean, she's a superstar and does better than I do, but I mean, like just to, just to be there to support my family and I I get where you're coming from. And I'm really glad that it's worked out the way it has, because at the end of the day, you're here, you're safe, all good, man. And it's a learning curve. I love the fact that you're still wanting to get out there and, Mate, uh, hopefully one day I'll get out there with you and we'll, we'll have a hunt together because uh, maybe not going up mountains. Keep it flat. We'll, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
we'll keep it flat and we'll uh, maybe go to the desert or something. I just, but I don't yeah, know. Probably. And it doesn't matter. Either way, we'll get out there and, and have fun. Mate, appreciate you sharing your story because it is something, you know, it's a tough thing to do. And especially in a public forum, a podcast like ours, where it's going to reach a lot of people. So props to you for doing it. Thank you for coming on. I've learned a lot. It's made me question a lot of things. I know Dodge is the same. So we really appreciate it. And I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of it, mate. So thank you very much, Tom. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the time. Yeah, just just want to say it wasn't uh, meant to like blame anyone or anything like that. It's just to say this is the stupid I did and hopefully people can learn from it. So. Uh, yeah, on, on that topic, I did say to you, Tom, when we spoke on the phone and Matt said it earlier in the episode, mistakes were made from from all angles. And I did say to Matt before this, I said, this isn't, you know, this isn't a blame game. This is an educational night and we've definitely got that out of it. So we thank you for that. Yeah, hopefully some new hunters going out there will learn a few lessons and pack a few extra things and, and yeah, this doesn't happen to them. So, mm. Mate, new and existing alike, I think it's one thing that, you know, just because you're experienced in hunting, it doesn't mean that nothing's ever gone wrong and that you don't know how to act when something happens. So I think it is a really important one. I hope you've learned a lot and enjoyed tonight and we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. See you guys. If you have a question for the team, shoot us an email. Our email address is theendlesspursuitpodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, jump on our social media, Facebook and Twitter. You can find us by using the at Hunting Journeys and Instagram. Find us on endless underscore pursuit underscore podcast. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.